Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster, and you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones, concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. And you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. That day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice, Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's nakedness, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Chapters 1 through 4, we're reviewing the principles, the overarching principles. Chapters 5 through 11 were generalities, commandments from the Lord, but without getting into any of the details. Chapters 12 through 26 discussed the specific commandments. We saw this last time. There are a lot of one-verse instructions in the book here. Now in chapter 28... Sorry, chapter 27, we come to the consequences of what will happen if you do or do not obey these commandments. And this chapter begins with the ceremony of inauguration. We've already looked at this once in chapter 11, verse 29. And if you want to go look at the structure, by the way, the end of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 27 are very similar to one another, framing all of those commandments that we just saw. 
What he's telling them to do is when you've come into the land, when you've conquered the land and you're ready to take possession of it, this is a ceremony I want you to go through. And you will see this in Joshua chapter 24, although it won't detail it out quite like this. They were to set up monument stones on two different mountains. Now it says to plaster them with plaster. So this was not just a rock. They were to set up a big obelisk, for example, a big tall stone that they would plaster and presumably paint then and then carve into it all the words of Deuteronomy. One mountain was Mount Ebal and the other was Mount Gerizim. These are the two mountains that are north and south of Shechem, which is right in the center of Israel. Mount Gerizim is that mountain that Jesus and the Samaritan woman were arguing over in John chapter 4, if you remember that. He says, set up monument stones on both of these places and then build an altar in between them, offer sacrifices to the Lord and celebrate. Then half of the tribes are to go to one mountain and the other half of the tribes are to go to the other. One would represent blessing, one would represent cursing. And the Levites, now the tribe of Levi is included in the division of these 12, so I would assume this is the priests here, specifically the priestly Levites, or the ones who were on duty at this time. And they were to proclaim these 12 laws and the curses attached to them, to which the people were to say, Amen. Now this is a way of formally and ceremonially binding themselves, not just to obey the law, but to the consequences of disobedience by saying amen, which is let it be so, or yes, Jesus, we might say. They're saying, yes, I agree with that curse. I am taking that curse upon myself for me and for all of my descendants and for all of us as the children of Israel. And chapter 28 is going to outline in great detail the blessings and curses that would come upon the people based upon their behavior. God repays people for the things that they do. Our title tonight is, His Recompense is Righteous. Now the word recompense, we don't use it much anymore, but it's not too hard to figure out. Compense is like compensate, to pay somebody. And then to recompense, re at the beginning means to do it again. So payback, that's what recompense is. It's payback. And that can be good or bad depending on what you're getting paid back for. His recompense is righteous, that God does, in fact, repay people for the things they've done. This is not merely an Old Testament concept. Paul in Romans 2, 6 through 8, said, God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. It is so important for us to know this, that the way you live your life affects the way God treats you. Can I say that again? The way you live your life affects the way God treats you. Now, I'll give this biblical disclaimer at the beginning here. It is abundantly clear through the Bible that not every event is what we might call an act of God. Not everything that happens to you is because God has deliberately done it. We live in a sinful, fallen, cursed world. We do not understand it all. But in John chapter 9, when the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, the blind man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said in John 9 2, nobody sinned, guys. Not everything is somebody's fault. All right, you got that point? 
Good, because we're going to teach the correlated point, which is that God does indeed respond differently to people based upon their actions. And we call this blessing and cursing. And we're going to see as we go through this, three different ways that God responds to our actions. Three different kinds of recompense that the Lord will give. And we know that because he is God, his recompense is righteous, and it is incumbent upon us to do what is necessary in order to receive the blessings of the Lord. Just as the children of Israel were to bind themselves to God's covenant and his blessing and cursing, we also, by our actions and our faith, are to do the same. Let's look now at chapter 28. We'll read the first 14 verses. This is the happy section. (laughs) And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your livestock, and in the fruit of your ground, within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after gods, other gods, to serve them. So these verses describe the blessings for the children of Israel if they would keep their covenant with the Lord. They had been through the ceremonies at Sinai. They had inaugurated this covenant. But a new phase of their history was about to begin. They were really, truly about to begin their life as God's chosen people. And God lays out all these various sorts of blessings, ranging of all aspects of life, from the produce of the ground, something we really take for granted in this day and age, don't we? We just go to the grocery store and we pick stuff up. But you saw how it was when the the supply chain wobbled for a little bit, right? You can see how important it is that that produce keeps flowing to military victories, to childbearing, even to prominence among the nations. But you see over and over again in there, if you will obey. How many people have tried to preach this passage out of context and ignore all the places where he says, if you will obey. Now, Israel is not like anyone else. There's actually a verse, I I can't remember, I want to say it was Amos, but it's in one of the prophets where the Lord condemns Edom for saying that they could treat Israel like any other nation. 
He judged them and rebuked them for that. Isn't that interesting? Because we hear that statement quite a bit today, do we not? They were God's choice to be a kingdom of priests to the Lord. Exodus 19, God chose Israel to be his nation, his chosen people. And these blessings cannot just be ripped from their context and applied as blanket statements. This was given to God's people entering their land at a specific time in history. He says, this is my deal that I've made with you. If you obey me, here's how I'm going to bless you. And as we go through the history of scripture, you're going to see that this is exactly what took place. When Israel obeyed the Lord, they were blessed and they were delivered. This, this reached its culmination in the ministries, or should I say the reign, of David and Solomon. In fact, it says about Solomon in 1 Kings 10, 28, The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone, and he made cedar as plentiful as the sycamore of the Shephelah. Now, I don't know much about sycamore trees, much less ones from Shephelah, but apparently they're pretty easy to get. Because cedar was that easy to get. But silver, as common as stone, there was just, there was money to be had. They were prosperous. People were coming from all around the world to acknowledge Solomon as the, as the Lord's king. During his reign, during David's reign, Israel prospered at the height of their obedience to the Lord. And you look throughout the, the narration of the kings. When a king served God, he prospered. When he didn't, he faltered. Men like Hezekiah and Josiah, even if they lived through difficult times like those kings did, they were delivered out of them rather than being broken by them. God kept his covenant. Even when Israel was exiled, when they repented and came back and began to serve the Lord, they prospered again under men like Ezra, Ezra Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and Yeshua. They were restored because God keeps his covenant. And this remains in effect to this day. God will bless his people Israel when they call upon him. And Zechariah 12.10 tells us there's going to come a day where the Lord is going to pour out a spirit of repentance upon Israel. Right now they're in rebellion against the Lord. But when they do, that day the Lord will come in and restore to them their kingdom and their King Jesus. So we have to know that this is related to Israel in their promised land. However... The principles and the lessons we glean here absolutely apply to us as New Testament believers and for most of us as Gentiles. There are blessings available for any man who will obey the will of the Lord. And we're going to look at three ways that God blesses people who obey him. So if you want to know how to be blessed, you're in the right place, my friend. The first way God blesses us is through what I'm going to call natural law. Meaning, God knows how the world works. He made it. He designed it. He knows everything about it. Therefore, when he tells us how to live, you can take that to the bank, to the blessing bank, you might say. He's told us how to live, not because his commandments are arbitrary and intended just to dominate you and push you around, but because God knows the secret to living a good life. And if you keep his commandments, you will be blessed because that's the blessed way to live life. Jesus, at the close of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 24 through 25, he said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. How do you found it on the rock? By doing the things Jesus tells you to do. That, now, that applies to salvation, that applies to faith. Yes, but in context, he's talking about practically in your life, if you live the way I tell you, when life gets hard, it's not going to break you. God blesses us by allowing the natural course of events to take place. His way is better. And if you live your life his way, you're going to say, wow, God's blessing me. When in reality, you're just living the right way. If you are kind to your wife and your children, they're going to love you for it. And you're going to have a good family. If you take the time to love on your wife and ask her about her day and take care of those kids and correct them when they're wrong, but hold them when they need you. If you're going to respect your husband and not try to force your way into his life, but let him lead and love him like you're supposed to, ladies, you're going to have a happy family. Now, is that God blessing you? Yes, but the commandment was the blessing. Do it this way and it'll go better for you. If you work hard at your job and act shrewdly and wisely, you will be successful. That's not the secret key to success. Any more than diet and exercise is the secret key to weight loss. Amen. That's not a secret. That's just life, isn't it? Eat less and work out more and you'll lose weight. You see somebody online telling you that's not the case, it's probably a scam. Just move on, right? Now, it's the same thing in your job. If you work hard and take the time to work smart, then you're going to be successful. That's not promising you you're going to be a billionaire one day, but you will do better. If you work hard and your boss knows he can trust you, he'll give you more responsibility, which will lead to greater compensation. And if you work shrewdly, you know the Bible tells us to be shrewd in our business, right? Not to be crafty and deceitful, but to be shrewd and to think about the best way to go about it. Then if you get in a dead-end job, you think, well, I'm a hard worker. I've got these skills. I've got this education. They'll transfer to the next one. And you'll have a reputation as a good man and a good worker to go to the next place. And you might not finish your life again with millions of dollars, but it'll be farther along than you were when you started. And that's not God's direct blessing. That's just obeying God and living life his way. Tell the truth and people will trust you. How about that? <laughs> now, yeah, there's always people that are going to distrust everybody. But if you tell the truth, don't you think it'll go better for you in life? Isn't it just better to live that way? Now, there's always somebody who will say, well, you got to lie to get ahead. Guess what? That person is never successful. And if they are, they won't be for very long. I remember I had a conversation at my, my last job before I came here. When they told me, you got to lie to do this job, I said, I'm not going to lie. you got to lie to them. We gotta, if we want to sell this, this uh, you know, thing that we're doing, sell these truckloads of, of junk that we're going to carry it away, you got to lie and you know, stretch the truth and stretch the price and tell them what you can do. And once the truck's full, they can't really say anything about it. And I said, I'm not going to do that. Well, you're not going to do very well here then. You're not going to get any tips. You're not going to do any sales. And I said, how about I'll see how good you can do by being honest. That guy then went to my boss, actually, about that conversation. He said, I think Tyler's too religious. He's going to make us lose money. Well, I became the general manager there, manager there so who knows? <laughs> you don't think that catches a boss's attention when somebody else is complaining because this employee said, I'm going to be honest no matter what. I don't care if we lose money. 
Well, next time comes time to give somebody some authority or give somebody some responsibility, you're not going to go to the guy that says, hey, this guy doesn't want to lie. What's his problem? <laughs> now, was that God blessing me? Kind of, but not really. It was just, that's the way God made the world. In this sense, you can claim to be blessed even if there's no specific intervention from heaven. The commandments themselves are the blessings. That's why the word says that the commandments of God are not burdensome, for he who keeps his commandments has overcome the world. You've broken free. You're no longer part of the system anymore. That's why, here's your application, learn the scriptures. The Bible says, with all your getting, get wisdom. Learn God's ways and live that way. And seek to live it out every day. And the blessings will come because it's a better way to live. Now, might it initially result in the shattering of some things you've built upon a, a slippery foundation? Yeah, it might. But it's better to do it that way. Have you ever been in a construction situation where the guy says, we're going to have to tear this wall out? There's no way to fix it. Or if you don't let me take apart this sink, it's going to keep leaking. Or gone to the, the auto shop and they say, if you don't let me take this engine apart, and then, and then say no. <laughs> no, 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 I, I can fix it. And you keep patching it. What happens? It keeps breaking. It keeps breaking and it keeps breaking. And you keep on paying more money and more money. How about you just take the time to rip it out and fix it? That's the first way we get blessed. The second way is through divine favor. This is the opposite, not really the opposite, but it's the next step of what I was just talking about. This is when God actually does step in and directly and supernaturally bless his people who are obeying his commandments. God still does this. I know we all know that, but there are some people that think they're too clever for scripture and they say, no, 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 God doesn't do that anymore. Well, it's all over scripture. Psalm 37 verses 4 and 5 says, delight yourselves in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. So some folks want to say the only kind of blessing is the one I just described. But the Bible tells us that when you commit your way to him, he will act. And he will give you the desires of your heart. God delights to rain down blessings and favor upon those who keep his commandments. Job is the primary example of this. God liked to brag on Job for being so righteous. He gave him everything he had to give him because he thought, man, this is my guy. He's doing it right. Think of Enoch. What a blessing Enoch had. He walked with God and he was not for the Lord took him. He says, Enoch, just come on up here, man. Conversation's too good just to leave now. God intentionally and specifically blesses people. Some biblical examples of this, well, James tells us that those who confess their sins will be healed. That the Lord reaches in and sovereignly and supernaturally touches the body, specifically in that chapter related to the confession of sin. This doesn't mean that every sickness is related to sin, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but it does say that sometimes the Lord connects a spiritual breakthrough with a physical breakthrough. He steps in and does a miracle in response to something that changes in your heart. The Lord provides for the needs of everyone who obeys him. The scripture says, I, have, I was young and now I'm old, but I have never seen the righteous begging bread. 
Isn't that amazing? Now we hear that and we are so steeped in, in the whole social justice thing that's been going on since like the days of the Industrial Revolution. Like, well, you know, some people, we, we, be careful we don't say that. Well, have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen somebody that was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who was utterly destitute? I'm not talking they had to be on food stamps for a while. I'm talking who had nothing. Jesus takes care of his own. Haven't you found that to be true? Hasn't God come through in the middle of, of a crisis, not even to preserve your life, but to preserve your lifestyle? Because yeah. God loves you. Amen. God wants to take good care of you and bless you. And we cannot be so reactionary against health and wealth prosperity teachers that get it wrong that we forget that God does, in fact, like you to be happy. Yeah. Oh, it's not all about God wanting you to be happy. Okay, yeah, but he's not a killjoy. God loves to see good things happen for his people. He even prospers godly people beyond what we need. He gives us our, that's why Paul told Timothy, he says, hey, tell the rich to be generous and grateful for what God gave them. For God gives us all things richly to enjoy. We love that verse. Do you know that it was given in context of those that were rich in the church at Ephesus? Because there are probably some folks like today who want to strut up to them and say, you should be ashamed of yourself having all that money. It's immoral to have all that money. God goes, you got a verse for that, friend? He says, be generous and be grateful. And if you're doing that, then say hallelujah for the rest of it, man. And it's not up to us, I'm including myself in this, to walk up to those that have more than we do and shake a finger in their face and tell them what they've got to give. God gave it to them. Be happy for them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't walk around insisting that people weep with you. God does bless his people. Although these are not guaranteed, I can't step around and say that all you got to do is step up and point a finger in God's face and say, now give me that car that I want so bad. Yeah, I know I've got this one, but Lord, I want the, I want the Corvette this time. It's embarrassing that I have to ride around in a normal person car. Yeah, you can't do that. But God still likes to bless his people. Come on. Don't be afraid to come in and ask for God's blessing. You know, most of us are conservative in here, right? We believe in hard work. We believe in earning what you get. And that can sometimes affect our religion where we don't want to come to our Heavenly Father and ask Him for things. Come on, guys. It's your Heavenly Father. He loves you. You're His kid. He already gave you His Son. Don't be afraid to ask for things. Well, I don't need it. Yeah, so your kids ask for Christmas presents, don't they? And if you're, you're evil and know how to give good gifts to your children, won't your father give you something good when you ask for something? He might say no or not yet, but he's not going to say, how dare you? <laughs> he's not going to give you a scorpion when you ask for an egg, friends. Our Lord is a person and a father and a good father. And when his kids are doing well, God loves to spoil his kids. Now, a bad parent spoils our kids when they're doing poorly. You know, Johnny kicks and screams and throws a tantrum, so we buy him ice cream. You ever seen that out in public somewhere? And you're like, don't do that. He's going to go to jail. If you keep, <laughs> you keep that up. <laughs> Banging his head again. Fine, fine, fine. Here, you can have it. But a kid that's doing well comes home with straight A's and, hey, man, let's go get some ice cream. Now, does he deserve that ice cream? Not really. He got good grades. That's what he's supposed to do. But good parents know how to reward when their kids are doing good. How much more our Heavenly Father? If you do well and follow Jesus, you should expect the blessings to come. He loves you guys. I can feel the resistance to this one in the room. You know me by now, I should think. 
You know I'm willing to tell it like it is, but I'm also willing to tell you guys, hey, you can loosen up when you're talking to your Heavenly Father. Here's the third way that we're blessed is through the final recompense, the final payback, which is coming when God will reward those who are in Christ Jesus for all that they did to build the kingdom of God while they were still living. Isn't that exciting? That there's going to come a day where it's the medal ceremony, <laughs> prizes when we get to heaven. And I just, it cracks me up. People say things like, oh, but I don't, I'm not into rewards and prizes. That sounds all carnal. No, you sound carnal because Jesus said this was coming. Read it with me. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation, here Paul is using the illustration of the church as a house or a temple that we all build through our actions. You with me? If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, meaning we're all going to know what you did. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. What happens if you heat up gold to a million degrees? It's refined. All the impurities melt away, and only gold is that. What happens if you heat up straw? It's gone, right? The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward, a prize. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. This is what we call the judgment seat of Christ. When all believers will receive rewards beyond their mere salvation. You're going to get saved, but when you get to heaven, that's not it. The comparison here is to a building. Another comparison Paul uses is to a contest, a race, a wrestling match in certain places. And he says, when we get to heaven, that's going to be where the scores are distributed and the prizes are handed out. Gold, silver, precious stones, crowns, authority, judgment placed into our hands. That's coming someday. What kind of things does he describe? Well, in there, he says gold, silver, and precious stones. Material riches. Now, I don't know what use we're going to have for material riches in the kingdom of heaven, but there it is. There it is. Maybe it's not so much for the value of the purchasing power of these things as much as the beauty and the adornment and the long-lasting recognition, right? A gold medal is priceless if it's from the Olympics. If you were to take the components... It doesn't cost nearly that much, but it's what it represents that is going to cost everything, right? It speaks of crowns and authority, that we will rule and reign with Christ. Jesus said in Revelation, I will grant with you to sit with me on my throne, just as it was granted to me by my Father to sit with him on his throne. You're going to have a throne to sit on in heaven. That's not me. That's not American whatever you want to call it. That's Bible. Gold, silver, precious stones, riches, a throne and authority. At the very least, the honor given by our Lord Jesus Christ. To be honored by Jesus himself. We're going to get to heaven. Sometimes we picture our entry to heaven as like we're going to fall at our, our feet before Jesus. Our, sorry, fall on our face before the feet of Jesus. I'm sorry, Jesus. I don't know what. I'm sorry. I wish I couldn't have done better. When you get to heaven, guys, 
there's going to be trumpets blown, and they're going to be playing the Olympic theme song, dun, 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 dun. and we're going to be coming in, and you know, we're all going to be dressed up in our country's colors, because the Bible says every nation, tribe, and tongue shall be there, right? And the Lord's going to say, you made it! Now it's time for rewards! No, Lord, you deserve it. He goes, ah, I've got everything. I want to give you all some of what I have. How cool is that? And your life is going to be there. He's going to evaluate it through the fire of his gaze to determine how he can reward you. That's pretty spectacular, isn't it? That's amazing. What an amazing change that God not only redeems us, but now he's going to reward us. This is why those that have the thought, well, salvation is God gives you enough righteousness to fill out what you're missing. Well, that only brings you back to zero, doesn't it? But if you have Christ's righteousness, all of that is covered. And now everything you do over and above that goes into the plus column. And you're going to enter into heaven as a king or a queen. Hallelujah, somebody. Are you living your life in view of that day? This is what Jesus meant when he said, storing up treasure in heaven. We keep on coming back to that treasure thing. Man, what's it going to be like? Anybody else want to know? How about that? Are you wasting the investment of your life now? Are you willing to compromise your soul to get that bigger house, to get another boat, to get ahead one more step? I hope not, because you're going to look mighty foolish on that final day. Blessings, guys. The Lord delights to bless his people. If you can walk away with that, I'll be happy. God loves you. He wants to bless you. Through the natural law, yes, by keeping his commandments. Also through his favor, the intervention into your life. Man, someday those blessings and those rewards are just going to go so far beyond anything we could imagine. However, there's another side to this. There were two mountains. Mount Gerizim represented blessing. Mount Ebal represented curses. And the larger section of this chapter, and we're going to read all of it, is about the curses that would come upon the children of Israel if they disobeyed. Verse 15, you can hear the thunder clap of this first conjunction. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of your evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation, and fiery heat, and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your, dread bo uh, your dead body shall be food for all birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no one to frighten them away. 
The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. You shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and robbed continually, and there shall be no one to help you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat any of it. Your donkey shall be seized before your face, but shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, but there shall be no one to help you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless. A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually, so that you are driven mad by the sights that your eyes see. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils of which you cannot be healed, from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. The Lord will bring you and your king whom you set over you to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. And you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. You shall carry much seed into the field and shall gather in little, for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with the oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall father sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. The cricket shall possess all your trees and the fruit of your ground. The sojourner who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. All these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you till you are destroyed, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that he commanded you. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all these things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you, in hunger and thirst, in nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring down a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It also shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil, the increase of your herds or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you, in the siege and in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you. The man who is most tender and refined among you will begrudge food to his brother, to the wife he embraces, and to the last of the children whom he has left, so that he will not give to any of them any of the flesh of his children whom he is eating, because he has nothing else left. 
in the siege and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you in all your towns. The most tender and refined woman among you who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she's so delicate and tender will begrudge to the husband she embraces, to her son and to her daughter, her afterbirth that comes out from between her feet and her children whom she bears, because lacking everything, she will eat them secretly in the siege and in the distress with which your enemy shall distress you in your towns. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions. Affliction severe and lasting, and sicknesses grievous and lasting. And he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also, and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite. And there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you shall say, if only it were evening. And at evening you shall say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt. A journey that I promised that you should never make again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But there will be no buyer. This is the opposite the much longer section concerning the covenant curses. And I felt it was necessary to read the whole thing that you might feel the weight of what they were entering into and committing themselves to. The Lord promised to curse Israel and their economy, their ecology, their health with defeat and shame to be downtrodden, to be hopeless, eventually besieged, destroyed, and captured. And it ends, I'm sure you notice, with a complete reversal of the exodus. You're about to enter this promised land, but God says, do not think for a second, I won't send you back. And that's exactly what happened. Anytime Israel rebelled, they were judged. Culminating, of course, in the exile, which began with Assyria in 722 B.C. and Babylon in 586 B.C. And the siege that Babylon raised against Jerusalem was one of the most terrible things that history has ever recorded. The whole book of Lamentations, you probably haven't read that book very much. It is poetry by the prophet Jeremiah lamenting the destruction of his city. And so much of it is language that has been drawn from Deuteronomy 28, describing what happened in that city as they went for, I believe it was almost three years without food and without water. And they slowly got down to the end of their reserves and they began to eat each other. Lamentations 4, verses 9 and 10. He said, Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger. 
who wasted away, pierced by lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. Oh, that wouldn't happen. It did happen. It has happened throughout history. There was a time where during Elisha's life, women came to the king to ask for a judgment because they ate the one woman's daughter and then the next day the woman hid her own. And they weren't arguing about whether or not this was right or wrong. She was saying, she's got to share her child with me now that we've eaten mine. This happened during the Holodomor in Ukraine during the early 1900s. If you read the history, people began to cook and eat their own children because there was no food. This is what happens to those that deny and reject God's commandments. Curses. If we're reluctant to believe in blessings, you better believe we're reluctant to believe in curses. But there it is in your Bible. The worst example of the curse upon Israel, of course, was the immediate judgment of the ones who crucified Jesus. God gave Israel hundreds of years to repent during the times of the kings. But when they crucified Jesus, 40 years later, they were done. Jesus said in Matthew 23, this day your house is left to you desolate. And in 73 AD, after the destruction of Jerusalem, the last holdouts of Jewish resistance to Rome at a place called Masada, when the soldiers realized that their cause was hopeless, they all killed themselves. That's how it ended. Now, we are not Israel. I've already explained that. But God still sends wrath and curses down on those who disobey. And the way he's, ways he does it are the same three ways we saw before. Number one is through the natural law. Because when we violate God's law, the natural consequences are destructive. Matthew 7, this is the second half of that passage I read earlier. Matthew 7, 26 and 27. And everyone, Jesus said, who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I will say that there are even people who are saved who have parts of their life that they're building upon the sand that will fall because they're not doing what Jesus has commanded. If you choose to flout God's word, you'll be the tail and not the head your whole life because he made it, he knows how it works and he's told us what to do. Cheat on your wife and she's going to leave you. Beat your children and they're going to hate you. Give place to your temper and you're not going to hold down a job. And it won't be your boss's fault. Kill someone, you go to jail. That's life. That's how it works. Don't sit there blaming God when you've sowed the seeds of sin and are now reaping the harvest of destruction. It begins to infuriate me on behalf of the Lord when I hear people do this. You lived your whole life in rebellion against God, denouncing the Lord, laughing at his commandments. Then something terrible comes upon you and you want to get angry at God. How dare you? You're being cursed. You brought a curse upon yourself. So today, are you planting seeds that are going to bear fruit that you want to eat? Because you're going to eat it all, I promise you. Unless you let the Lord, through repentance, rip up the roots of what you've planted and do something different. The second way that we are cursed, again, is through divine favor, or shall we say, the withholding of divine favor. A different kind of favor. When God deliberately and intentionally and specifically sends chastisement into your life. 
We use the word chastise today to mean to scold somebody, to speak strongly to them. But for most of history in the English language, the word chastise was related to beatings. You would be chastised, meaning you would be beaten with, with a whip or with a rod or whatever the case may be. Well, that doesn't happen in the New Testament. Oh, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 30. Paul said, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, folks there were getting drunk and keeping the poor out while they had their own bacchanal in honor of Jesus. Whoever does that will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That sends a shiver down your spine, doesn't it? Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Paul said the reason so many of y'all are sick in that Corinthian church is because of the way you take communion. That ought to put a pause to your life, doesn't it? God will remove blessings or send affliction into your life as judgment for your actions. And if you're a believer, all of this is meant to bring you back to the Lord. Yet in the, me in the meantime, it's not going to feel any different. Now, Paul used the example of communion, but I mean, it could be anything. The Bible straight up tells us there are some sins that result in sickness. Is every sickness because of sin? No, but some of them are. And we can't forget that. In our attempt to be kind to those who have been hurt, we cannot abandon the truth of Scripture, which says there are some times where God sends sickness into someone's life to punish them for something they've done. God sends armies to invade sinful nations. And we're at a point in history that is actually unique to history, where we sympathize with the, we call them victims, with the losers of a battle, rather than the victors of the battle even when we have partaken in it. Not realizing that when God sends destruction upon a nation, it is very often as a result of their sin that he's judging them for. Do not be too quick to decry those nations that came over to the new world and brought destruction to the nations that were here. They were worshiping demons. They were sacrificing people. They were devouring their own children. And the Lord sent judgment upon them. And there's plenty of space to talk about there needs to be righteousness even in judgment. But the Lord's recompense is true and righteous and it does not come arbitrarily. Even finances can be devastated through God's intervention. The Lord in the book of Haggai told the people, the reason you work so hard and can't seem to keep any money in your pocket is because I am deliberately pulling it away from you because you're working on your house and neglecting my house. That's not a reason to tithe. I don't know what is. And I'm not trying to be cute. That is the point of that passage. Even Christians may be chastised through these things because God is a just and righteous God. And just as we said a good father gives good gifts to his children, so a good father will bring discipline and retribution upon his children in order to bring them back to the straight and narrow path. When you're a kid, you think your dad hates you because he spanks you or grounds you or takes something away. Then you get older and you go, I'm so glad my parents did that so I didn't end up like her or I didn't end up like him. If you feel like your life is just opposed, then take an inventory of your life. Are you obeying the Lord? Are you fighting against God? 
You might not be, but you could be. And I know some cases where people know good and well why something's happening to them. But they would rather take the pain with their sin. I'll live with this if it means I can have that. Shame on us for thinking we can do that. And the third way the Lord curses us, again, is through the final recompense. Now we talked about Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble before. There is no gradation of punishment for the sinner. But the final payback that comes on the last day for those that are not in Christ will result in eternal damnation in a place called hell. Matthew 25, 41. Describing what will happen when Jesus returns and gathers all the nations before him. He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed ones, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. On that final day, the repayment of the eternal transgression of sin shall be eternal punishment in hell. For sin is an eternal transgression and its punishment must be eternal. You're not going to burn off your sins and then get to go to heaven. Nor are you going to burn off your sins and then stop existing. It is eternal, conscious, everlasting, fiery torment. Revelation 20.15 says it is a lake of fire. When you've ever been thrown into a lake before and you feel how oppressive it is and the water can just swirl all around you. But a lake of water can be comforting with its dangers. A lake of fire will feel just as oppressive and terrible, but there will be no escape. Mark 9, 48, Jesus quotes from Isaiah and says that in hell, the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. There's no day of reprieve in hell. There's no days off in hell. The worm does not die. Can you imagine being eaten by worms for all of eternity? Digging in at your stomach and your eyes and your mouth and your hands and your feet. Crying out for help, but the worm doesn't die and the fire never goes down. Oh, Tyler, please don't talk that way. I must. This is what's waiting for those that reject the word of Jesus. Jesus said again in Matthew 22 that it is outer darkness, alone, by yourself, dark, nobody around you, nobody in front of you, not even somebody for you to hate any longer, all by yourself, weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're not going to sit in hell condemning God. You're going to know full well it's what you deserve and have to live with that for the rest of eternity. Is that truly what you want? Because that's where you're going if you are living against Jesus. There are no redeeming qualities to hell. I don't care how many stupid rock and roll songs or pop songs or hip hop get written talking about how, well, we're going to get to hell and we're going to be running that place. We're going to be hanging out with the devil and all our friends. You fool. No rest. No company and no door. Why? Would you so foolishly choose to live in sin now and pay for it for the rest of eternity? Blessings. The joy of the blessing of heaven is matched only by the depths of the pain of the curse of sin. Now it is true, though. None of our righteousness 
is enough for us to be accepted. If I had to stand before the judgment seat of Christ with my own works, never mind gold, silver, precious stones, or even wood, hay, and stubble. Isaiah 64, 6 says that it's a filthy rags, nothing redeeming or even useful about my life. God isn't looking at your life and go, you know, I could take this piece and that piece over there. It's all useless until he gets hold of it. But now you have the opportunity to be grafted into God's covenant and receive the ultimate blessing. If that's your destination, you can get on the other side of this thing. Christians are always so mean. We have to tell you the truth so that we can give you the good news. Because I got good news. Galatians 3 verses 13 and 14 says that Christ, Jesus Christ, redeemed us. That means to buy something back. Redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus took the curse on himself. Every curse that is aimed your way, Jesus took that upon himself. And now because he lives again, he offers you that same life to be received through faith. Just as the children of Israel stood between those two mountains and said, Amen, and bound themselves to the terms of that covenant, you likewise, by faith, can only be redeemed by binding yourself to the terms of the new covenant, which is faith in Jesus Christ, manifested in a life of obedience and repentance to Jesus Christ. And then <laughs> your life can begin to count for something. It begins to mean something because the biggest problem will be solved. And now you'll be living life as his child under his protection. If you want to have a good life, you've got to live a good life. For God's recompense is fair and righteous. But what I'm telling you is you can't do it good enough until Christ has come to you. Forgiven your sins, taken away your iniquity, and clothed you with his own robes of righteousness. But life only starts under the lordship of Jesus. You can begin today, and then not only your works, but you will last forever.